All right. So <clears throat> many weeks on Sunday uh, after our, after church, uh, I have a job and. Um, I have a job here at church, but then I have another job for, at, for home after, after the Sunday service. Most of the time, um, after we get done here, after we hang out, I head out, and some of you have even seen me there, I head out to Meyer to do our, lo- our, our weekly uh, grocery shopping. That's kind of one of my jobs that, that I do every week. Um, it's a, I actually really like it. It's a job I've been doing for years because it's kind of mindless, and I can kind of just reset before going home to, to all the stuff there. So Jen usually will head home, make the girls lunch, and then I'll go out and do grocery shopping. And actually, most of the time, I've been doing it for years while I was here, but also when I was at my, my previous job, and actually for most of the time, um, like especially three years ago and beyond, um, it was a mindless trip, right? I actually knew where everything was. I knew what our normal list looked like, and I could kind of just run it through without even having to think. But th- that's changed a little bit over the past two years. Um, as, as any of you who've been at a grocery store lately know, um, because Recently, in particular, a lot of the things that I've wanted aren't there. Has anybody else experienced that recently? I mean, you can't find cream cheese right now, I'm pretty sure, right? I, or is it back? Might be back. I haven't been back there. Is it back? It's back now at my area. It hasn't been there for like three weeks though, right? Oh, good. So it's back today. Good, because I'm going to head after this again today. But we have pizza the pews first, but then after that, I can get some cream cheese finally. Um, but... But it's been hard to find certain things from time to time. And actually, if any of you who've been following the news, um, well, I guess not this week's news, Lisa already talked about that, but before that, we know a little reason, we know the reasons why that is, right? Shortages and supply chain issues are often, have often been front page news, right? If you've seen a picture of the ports off of Los Angeles, you see there's boats parked there. The boats that aren't parked there come and bring it in, and then you see the piles of stuff just sitting there waiting for some place to go, whether it's the inability to get it off the boat or once it's off the boat to get it onto a truck um, to get to all of these places. We realize that we built such an efficient system that when one section goes down, it affects the whole chain all the way out. Um, And so we've got shortages all around. Now, we've kind of gotten used to that over the last little bit here, but it's it's interesting how people react to this kind of thing when it happens, right? Really, I think there are two different kinds of reactions. First, some people don't react at all, right? They, they don't do anything. They just assume it's going to get better eventually, and they manage with what they have. They, get, they adapt. They change things up. Um, they change up what they're using and how they use it. But others do something different, and maybe you know where I'm going with this. What do they do? They hoard, right? There you go. Right? We all remember the toilet paper shortage of 2020, right? Where you couldn't find it anywhere, and I'm sure some people had stacks of it at, at, their, at their houses. And so... Uh, that's what we're going to be talking a little bit about today. We're going to be talking about scarcity, uh, which you might wonder, how does that relate to anything that we've been looking at? But we've been slowly working through the book of Matthew. Hopefully, you've been enjoying it. We're going to be in it for a year. I've, I, to me, each week, um, it's, been, it's been fantastic. But we've been working through the life and the teachings of Jesus. We began with, with his declaration that the kingdom of heaven is all around us. He begins his entire preaching career uh, in the book of Matthew with a phrase that we've brought up every single week since we've been in Matthew. Um, and that's this phrase that he, that he declares right at the beginning. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is all around you. And so just to make sure we're all on the same page there, because like we've said so many times throughout this series, repent has this baggage along with it. But simply, it's, what it is is an invitation to turn away from what you're doing towards something different. Jesus says there's heavenly life all around you, and if you're not heading towards it, just turn and head back towards it. It's a beautiful invitation into something bigger, something fuller, something more beautiful. 
Jesus then moves into what we've been looking at for the past few months, which is the Sermon on the Mount. He kicks off that sermon with just an, just an affirmation of our worth as human beings. I love the Beatitudes because it's a declaration to people who think that God's not with them, that he is. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those of you who don't feel like God is close to you, he is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you're looking around the world and you're thinking, there needs to be more righteousness in the world, this week in particular is a week where that's been really, really prominent. The declaration there is that God's with you too. He goes, so that he, Jesus begins with this assertion that we're all valuable because God made us. He then moves from there to then encourage us to then be transformed into people who can experience the kingdom life here and now. When Jesus talks about the kingdom in Matthew, he's most often, though sometimes he is talking about future heaven, the faraway place that we talk about after we die, but most of the time what he's talking about is this experience of the kingdom life here and now. We saw it last week in the Lord's Prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The call to the Christian people around him is, let's make this place look a little bit more like heaven than hell. And so what he's doing in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, here are all these different ways that you can experience the kingdom life around you. Some of them are, are, are obvious, and some of them are really, really difficult, as we've seen for the last few weeks. And so today, we're going to continue working through the Sermon on the Mount with, that, with those ideas in mind. So if you want to read along, today we're going to be in Matthew 6 again. So feel free to turn there. We're going to start at verse 19, which says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, every, every once in a while, and I actually throughout this Sermon on the Mount, this happened often, you read a passage again and see it in, through different eyes. And that happened to, for me this week as well. Because there's a lot going on in this little passage here. On first read, actually, and where, the way I've always taught it or been taught it might been have it taught to me um, is actually having this 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 verse that we the, this section of verses that we just read broken into three different chunks, and that in the way that our Bibles are numbered, that it's easy to just take each of those chunk on their own, right? You've got the treasures in heaven part, then you've got this section about eyes, and then you've got the section about two masters, and often I've 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 seen those or even taught those individually, and they can be done that way. But when we read it closely, what you realize is that that's all one complete thought. Right? You go from money to your money and your treasures to your eyes back to money again. It's one complete thought, and it, and it builds on itself. And so then, if we understand it that way, it begs the question, what in the world do our eyes have to do with money or with treasures? And so hopefully I can walk you through that this morning. Let's just walk through the passage from the beginning to the end. Jesus begins by saying, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Now, one of the things that's interesting here, I think that maybe many of you are like me like that in this way. If I were to ask you about, to think about treasure, what would you think of? 
My guess is it would look a lot like this, right? It's hard to see, but that's a pile of coins and jewels. Anybody recognize what movie that's from? Goonies. You got it. Absolutely. Right? So that's the, it's uh, one I Willie's treasure right there, which, by the way, I used to love this movie as a kid, but I'm pretty sure that I had only ever watched it on TV, right? You know what I mean? Like back in the day where they play reruns on TV. Um, because, I, because I'm like, I have two younger girls, and I was like, hey, we should watch this as a family, right? Yeah, some of you already know where I'm going with this, right? And so we did. We sat down and started watching it as a family, not the version on TV. And my goodness, that video is not very good for kids that are like 8 to 10 years old. It's, there's a lot of inappropriate stuff in there, and I never knew it before. Like, I didn't remember this part or that part, right? Anyway, so forewarning on that one. Um, on TV, it was great. Not on TV, not so much. Anyway. <laughs> it's a total aside. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, when it, when it, I think what comes to mind when we think of treasure is, is something like this. We think about money. We think about valuable things that way, these, uh, in, in that kind of way. You might also be, uh, but, but that raises the question then. Um, it says, do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy. Can, can a rat or a moth do anything to that kind of treasure? It can't, can it? Right? It, 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 it can't, if we're talking about coins or, or valuable gems or things like that, moth and vermin don't actually affect that at all. Now, you might be thinking, well, yeah, sure, a moth or rat can't do anything to those kind of coins, but it could eat a dollar bill. I guess, sure, that's, that's a possibility, but, but that's not what Jesus is talking about either because paper money doesn't exist until around 1000 A.D. Actually, the oldest paper money we have any record of was in China in 1960. And it was, or not 1960, 960. Sorry about that. 1960 is way too late. Uh, it looked like this. This is one of the oldest pieces of paper money that we ever found. So we're not talking about paper money either. So when we're thinking about our treasures here, and this is important as we understand this passage, we have to shift our, our, our thinking just a little bit because what do moths and rats destroy? Food, right? That, if you're having a food store, that's where moths and rats can get in and they'll actually eat the food and destroy your supplies. So Jesus actually talks about this a lot. People hoarding food, building bigger barns, stuff like that. We see it in his parables. Now, it's, treasure, of course, can be money, and that is something we should be thinking about, but we miss a big point Jesus is making if we don't allow ourselves to expand our under, understanding to, all, to things that sustain our lives. We have to stretch it out to be beyond just money, to sometimes talking about food, those kind of things. We realize the culture that Jesus is speaking to is mostly poor. Right? Most people don't have large stores of anything. Food is a day-to-day concern to most of the people who are hearing Jesus' original message. And when we begin to understand that Jesus is talking about things like food, it helps us to understand what it means when he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Let me see if I can explain that. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus talks about our relationship to resources often. We saw it a little bit last week when we talked about giving to those who are in need, and we see it clearly here this week. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about our relationships to money or to resources, either to our, our food supplies or, or our ability to purchase those. One thing we hear here regularly is that, is that 
everything that Jesus commands us to do isn't arbitrary. It's easy to think about Jesus as just an arbitrary rule giver, but he's not doing that. We say it often here that everything he's asked us to do does one of two things. Either drives us into a deeper relationship with God or deeper relationship with each other. Everything directs us towards a kingdom kind of life. So then it's appropriate for us to ask why Jesus would ask us to do a particular thing. Or in other words, in this case, why does Jesus care about our relationship to our resources? And see, the answer to this question matters a lot to our faith lives, especially because there are places within the church, more specifically the American church, where this idea has gotten really, really distorted, the, idea between our relationship, or the ideas of our relationship to our resources. All right, we have televangelists buying jets. I haven't convinced any of you that I need a jet yet, so I don't have one, unfortunately, um, but some of them do, right? Or we have pastors living in $11 million compounds. Now, I'm not trying to, to draw a line here on how much is too much and how much isn't. That's something that we all have to wrestle with, but I do think it's appropriate for us to ask the question, is that what Jesus is talking about? We can ask some questions about those things. What is Jesus looking for here? Why does he care so much about our relationship to resources? And I think it comes down to this question, what, are the re what do resources do for us? They give us options, don't they? A feeling of safety, of self-reliance. If I have means, I don't need to worry about where I'm going to get food tomorrow, right? And we're actually going to talk more about worry next week that comes up uh, it, later on in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount. But if I have means, I can protect myself. I can take care of myself. Now, those things aren't inherently bad. Of course they're not. Those, are, those can be good things. But they do create an extremely potent temptation for us, don't they? When we have resources, we are tempted to be completely self-reliant. In other words, we're tempted to feel like we don't need to rely on God. Even later on in the book of Matthew, in chapter 19, Jesus is going to say a phrase that probably would make, makes a lot of us really uncomfortable. He says, It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. How many of you have heard that before? And how many of you, how many of you have been uncomfortable with that phrase? I have. Hopefully by now, we have a little bit better understanding of what Jesus is saying here in relation to the kingdom. He's not saying that all rich people are going to hell. That was something actually I believed when I was younger. I was really nervous about it. But he is saying, and to, to many of us, and I do mean us here, that, that we are in this particular area, we might be missing the kingdom around us. Why? Because of how easy it is for rich people, and on, on, I think it includes all of us here, to feel like we don't need to rely on God because instead we can count on our resources. I think it's what Jesus means when he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Do I need to rely on God day to day or can I just fall back on the things that I have? It's a hard question, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in just a minute, but it still leaves us with the question, then what does that all have to do with our eyes? It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Your eye, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If, then, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What in the world does that have to do with our relationship to our resources? Well, he starts by saying, the eye is the lamp of the body. And that metaphor is actually pretty straightforward. Right? Our eyes take in light, the images of the world around us. It's how we see things, obviously. But we realize this section is connected to the previous section. It means we need to remember that Jesus was just talking about our hearts. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Our hearts and our eyes in this particular argument are connected together. So what is the connection between our eyes and our hearts? If we think about it, we realize that there's a very significant connection between the two. Because our eyes affect what we desire, right? We, we all know that, I think, if we stop and think about it. When I was in, uh, when I was in college, uh, the first time, not grad school, college, uh, I, worked at, I worked at a Best Buy. Um, some of you know this about me already, but I'm kind of a nerd, um, and I really love gadgets. So that's a problem when you work at Best Buy, because it's filled with them, right? There are lots of them all over the place. Right? Stereo equipment and headphones are actually a weak point for me still. Like, I still walk by. If, if I was at, we were at, Jen and I were at Costco yesterday, and I had to stop and look. Why? I don't know. I'm not going to buy anything, but man, does they... There's some cool stuff out there. Uh, and so I, I actually, I love being able to, to experience music that way, like the kind of the thump in your heart. You know what I'm talking about? When you got a good, yeah, some of you know, when you've got a big subwoofer and it's hitting and it, right, like you can feel it right here. I love that. Um, <clears throat> anyway, when I'm in college, which means I don't have a lot of money, which is why I'm working at, at Best Buy, um, I also know it's not a wise decision to buy more stereo equipment because I didn't really need it. Um, and I would tell myself that at the beginning of every single shift, I'd walk in with resolve, uh, and then a few hours would pass, you'd deal with a couple customers, and all of a sudden you see that new line of receivers that just came in, or that new speaker set, right? Or that 14-inch subwoofer when I only have a 12. And all of a sudden, my perfectly good, actually probably better than perfectly good, sound system could be better, right? And unfortunately, that was a pattern I fell into often. Honestly, actually, if you wanted to actually see the remnants of my time there, it's actually in the basement here right now. So there's the, a good portion of that stereo I bought while I worked there is downstairs. And if we wanted to, we could still make it thump pretty hard. It's pretty good, right? It's dated. It's about 15 years old at this point, so I know there are better things out there. Very aware of that. And still, I could make the floor rock a little bit. So that's cool. But the point, is, <laughs> the point is this, right? There, uh, <clears throat> that my eyes affected my heart. What I saw, I began to want. And unfortunately, sometimes I, was, I gave in to that temptation and bought things I didn't actually need. Maybe it's not sound systems for you, but you could probably get the point, right? Maybe it's a car or a boat or a house or a bag or a pair of shoes or whatever it might be. There might be these things that we see and it starts to create a desire inside of us, right? Our eyes are connected to our hearts in those ways. The eye is the lamp of the body. There's clearly the relationship between our eyes and our hearts. What we see is what we begin to desire. But it's deeper than that. Because that relationship actually goes in both directions. Our eyes affect our desires, but it works in reverse too. Our heart our, our heart or the things we desire affect the way that we see the world. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. This is actually a brilliant line, and we actually miss a little bit of it because we only speak English, most of us. Some of us speak Spanish too, but not Greek. 
Because what Jesus is doing here is he's using a play on words. Um, which we, because we don't read it in Greek, we miss. Because the word healthy here is key to understanding this particular section. See, the word in Greek, uh, the word for healthy here in Greek is the word hapolos, which is two meanings. First is the one we see here, means healthy. But the second one is interesting and really affects how we understand this passage too, because the second meaning of the word hoplos is the word generous. If your eyes are generous, they are healthy. If they're healthy, they're generous. It's a play on words. And this is where our hearts affect how we see the world. See, if we become completely self-reliant because of our resources, what do we begin to do? We begin to start hoarding, don't we? We begin to feel like we need a bigger and better safety net. We begin to use our resources to protect our resources. Actually, there's a really good argument to be made when you read through the story of Solomon. It's fascinating. Um, Solomon, does, uh, for the first half of his life, does a really great job. So he's in the Old Testament, he's wise, he's doing all the wise stuff, and he's becoming really, really powerful and really, really rich, actually, in the Old Testament. And then there's a turning point in his life. It's, it's about halfway through his story when they list off all of his wealth. It starts talking about golden shields, all this other stuff that he has. There's a good argument to be made that at that particular moment is the moment of his fall because that right after it describes all of his wealth, it talks about what he does then is build protective things to protect that wealth. Rather than using it to advance Israel, he uses it to protect what he already has. He begins to use his wealth for things that are gratuitous and useless. Golden shields are just decorative. They don't actually protect anybody because gold is too malleable for war. It's what Jesus is talking about, like we mentioned earlier, when he talks about these parables about people just building bigger barns. When we begin to rely on our money or our resources rather than God, we begin to view the world then through the lens of scarcity. I need to protect me. I need to protect what I have. And so what we do then is continually become more protect, protective and less generous. We become more self-reliant and less God-reliant. It's actually what Jesus is talking about when he says it's easier for a poor person to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. Because they do, the reason for that is because they don't have any other options. See, we have a choice, Jesus says. Store your treasures in heaven. Focus your eyes on God. Have a healthy, generous eyes. Because the alternative, unfortunately, gets really dark. See, when we allow ourselves to see the world through the lens of extreme scarcity, when we allow our selfish desires to affect how we see the world, things get messy really fast, don't they? Maybe you've experienced seen this or experienced it before, but all of us can probably recall some story, whether it was directly related to us or we just heard about it, of a family that splits up over a dispute over like a will or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? There's an inheritance. And instead of drawing together as this person dies, the, the brothers and sisters, the siblings, whoever's left, fights over it. And it can become really, really vicious and vile quickly, can it? Or maybe we've experienced jealousy that destroyed friendships. Or we become obsessed with the next toy we're going to buy, uh, and then we miss all the hungry people around us. If we allow our desires to affect the way that we see the world in a negative way, 
it becomes dark really quickly. If our eyes are unhealthy and we don't view the world through the eyes of generosity but the eyes of scarcity, instead it creates a darkness. And when the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness, Jesus says. See, the Sermon on the Mount has been teaching us how to walk with God in a way that allows us to experience the kingdom all around us. And there have been some hard teachings so far. I think this one, though, particularly for Americans, might be one of the hardest of all of them. Because we, all, we, we know that we all have different, amount of, different amounts of resources here. Some of us have more than others, but compared to the world at large, compared to most of the people that Jesus is talking to, we are all, every one of us here, extremely wealthy. Now, don't mishear me. This isn't saying that that's a bad thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. There's nothing inherently sinful or wrong about having wealth. We see, it throughout, we see people throughout scriptures having it as well. On the, the tr- it's not a bad thing unless we've, falling, we've fallen into the trap that Jesus is warning us about. We have to ask ourselves the question, have we allowed ourselves or have you allowed yourself to become completely reliant on your own resources so you don't have to rely on God? I think that's the hard part here. It's, it, the hard part here is that it's really abstract. And so the answer to the question is different for all of us. Because you might have a lot and still be completely reliant on God. That's great. You might have very little and still be completely reliant on yourself. And so it's a question we each have to wrestle with on our own. Or, to, or we, and then together as well. We have to ask ourselves, are we viewing the world through the lenses of scarcity? or of generosity? Do we trust that God will take care of us so that we can use our resources to care for each other or to build the kingdom? Or do we trust ourselves, our stores of resources? Where your heart, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now I get it. It's a hard question to wrestle with. It is for me too. Which is why I think Jesus ends the thought the way he does. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Remember, the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is this declaration that the kingdom life is all around us. What Jesus is saying here is that a key component of experiencing that is the recognition that God is God and we are not. We've said it here before, the the core human temptation, the thing that actually caused the fall of humanity was the desire for our desire to be the gods of our own lives. It's the temptation that the the enemy brings to Eve in the garden. She says, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's what makes Eve go, okay, I could get on board with that. Our temptation is to be the God of our own lives. And as we see throughout Scripture, each time we decide to do that, things go very badly. Resources tempt us into feeling like we can be the gods of our own life. That we can provide for ourselves and don't need anyone else. Because it feels like we're in control. Which is why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Because the temptation is just that big. Which leaves us with the final question, what do we do? 
And I'm not sure, it's a little bit different for each of you, but there are three practices that we could probably try to put into place here to take a step towards making sure our eyes are healthy. First, throughout Scripture, we see that gratitude creates a, a posture of generosity. The Bible is constantly calling us towards this posture of gratitude, to view what we have as a gift and be grateful for it because it changes the way that we interact with the rest of the world. Because then, it be, it's, then the, the resources that we possess cease to be something that we need to protect and become something we can utilize to bless others the way that we've been blessed. If you view what you have as a gift given to you, then you, can, then you, can, then you realize that that gift should be shared with those around you. See, we can choose to focus on what we don't have, what we desire, or we can be grateful for what we do have. It's subtle, but it makes a huge difference. If I spend my life thinking about what I don't have, I protect what I do so that I can get more. If I'm grateful for what I already do have, I help other people experience that as well. When we're working to make our eyes healthful, healthy, gratitude creates a posture of generosity. Second, we can surround ourselves with people who, uh, who, who live with an, with an abundance mindset. What do I mean by that? My guess is many of us at some point in our lives have fallen into the trap of, the, of this desire to keep up with the Joneses. You know what I'm talking about? It's actually, it's an overwhelming temptation. Experience it myself where, where you see some, somebody you're close with get something you don't have and you feel like you've kind of got to race up. Like all of a sudden, this thing that I had that was perfectly good doesn't look perfectly good anymore compared to this other thing. If we're around people who are, constantly looking if, who are constantly looking towards what other people have and what they need to keep up with each other, it will be easier for you to do the same. That's why keeping up with the Joneses is a thing. Now, this isn't a declaration to say break those friendships, but it's, it is saying to make sure that you have people around you to help you keep grounded. To, keep the, your, to, to, help keep, to help train your eyes towards generosity rather than scarcity. Not focusing on what they have and you don't, but what you do and being grateful for that. So we said two things so far. First, gratitude creates generosity. Second, when we surround ourselves with people who live with an abundance mindset, we can take that on as well. And then finally, what we see through Scripture is that it encourages us to train ourselves to see the possibilities around us. See, a generous eye realizes that what we have is from God and a gift given to grow the kingdom. It's the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, Jesus says that in that particular parable, Jesus says each of us have been blessed with different things, but then given the responsibility to use those things to produce more. When we train our eyes to be generous, we begin to see the situations around us as opportunities to spread the kingdom. We care less about protecting what we have and care more about the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, creating a space where it looks more like heaven than earth. As we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words are often challenge, challenging, and this week surely is. And so I want to challenge you all as people who live in one of the richest countries that's ever existed, who, who, who most, all of us here, even if, even, whether we have a lot or a little compared to each other, have a lot compared to the rest of the world, I want to challenge you to take Jesus' words seriously. The kingdom of heaven is all around us. 
And so our relationship to, and our relationship to our resources affects how we experience that. Jesus says we can't serve two masters. Either we're going to rely on ourselves, that we're going to be, that we're going to view our resources as something we can use to control the world around us, to control our lives, to be the God of our own lives, or we can take a posture of generosity in which everything we've been given is a gift from God and rely on him to continually care for us in that way and use those gifts that he's given us to bless the world around us. It's going to look different for each of us. Some of you have been given ten talents. Some of you have been given five. Some of you have been given just one. And so the challenge then is, will you use that to create more kingdom life around you? It's going to be a wrestle for each of you because exa what exactly that looks like is different depending on what you've been given. But do you trust that the way that God has, that the way that God has asked you to live is the best way? And are, are you willing to take a step into that? By changing the way you see the world from, a world, from, from seeing it as a world of scarcity in which you have to protect what you have or through the lens of generosity in which what you have has been given to bless the rest of the world. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just pray that you help us realize that the relationship we have to our resources is an important thing. God, many of us know what it's like to be tempted to just rely on ourselves, on what we have, on the resources we have to take care of ourselves. That often it's easy then to be in that way the gods of our own lives. God, we pray that you help us to see, see what we have through the eyes of generosity, through healthy eyes, so that, that, what, that we can see all the wonderful possibilities to bless the world around us and create a more kingdom kind of life. God, convict us in the areas in which we've, we've had unhealthy eyes. Convict us in the areas in which we've hoarded for ourselves. Convict us in the areas in which we've relied only on ourselves. And give us the courage to step out and rely on you instead. Amen.